<laughs> Don't need a Stella. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I've got an IPA down there. Um, so what I want to do, I know we ask you to read in advance, and, and I think you should if you get a chance. And, but I, if, in case you didn't get a chance to read in advance, or just for the sake of all of us to kind of slowly go through this, unlike we did in the previous documents, I actually want to just read it. So what we're going to do tonight, we'll start with this way and see how it goes. Luther lends himself to this because he is the opposite of boring. He's full of ad hominem attacks. And what's the logical thing where you uh, push the thing to its extreme? Uh, yeah, absurdum. What's the, what's the reductio absurdum? Yeah, yeah. So Luther's just, he's famous for this writing style. And so he's very engaging. So it's, it's a fun read. This translation, <laughs> more, more <laughs> introductory material for you. Um, the one we have for free for you is actually from uh, uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, a friend of mine from Colorado, now down in um, Austin, Texas. Uh, he got this really great idea. He's like, we should just have a bunch of Luther translate that's in the public domain, publish it in some kind of free publishing thing, and then just give it away to people. Did not make CPH very happy. Uh, <laughs> but so it's like, it's a really clunky reading. I mean, if you're, if you're looking at it, you're like, some of the I mean, some of the bre sentence breaks are kind of weird, and some of the language is seemingly archaic at times. But all in all, it's, it's, a, fine, it's a fine translation. And most importantly, it's free because it's in the public domain. Because of that, you can actually, if you're a podcaster and you're not big into the reading or don't have as much time, or you're stuck in the car and just want to listen to it, you can, you can go on your podcast, type in large catechism, and it's all on there for free. And Lib LibriVox, I think, is the company that, that audio recorded all this stuff. It's also on Hoopla and all these other free audio sources. You can listen to Luther um, in preparation for today. In fact, I, when I, every, while I'm studying these works, I just listen to Luther while I'm jogging just to keep it fresh on my mind, right? Um, so we're thankful for Pastor Wolfmuller's efforts in putting this together. And he's actually going to be our lay theology speaker in the spring. So he'll be coming out in February, I think the week of Valentine's Day, February 11 or whatever that Saturday is. So um, we haven't picked a topic yet because it doesn't really matter what we do. He's just going to do whatever he's going to do. He's going to hit it out of the park. So I'm waiting to see what our, what our context is when we get closer. And then I'll dump the conference on Jody again and have her put all the details together. Oh, surprise. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. So uh, we'll skip over page five because that was just kind of the rationale behind Wolfmuller putting this together. And then we get to the long preface on page seven. Long preface of Dr. Martin Luther. So like if you're in the, all these other, if you're not in this, yours, uh, the one that we have is a newer print, like hold up yours, curves. That one, that's the, the recent publication of this one. This is the old one that if you study with us before in like 1718, the pagination's the same. If you got your book of Concord or, or that one, uh, it's a, the text is ultimately the same. I'll reference paragraph numbers as we go through. So, um, so like we're in the, the preface is gonna be the same. All the words are the same. It's just like, the, I mean, the, the ideas are all the same to translate. It's like if we're doing a Bible study and I got the ESV and you got the NIV and then Clay would have like, the word for today, for like rappers or something? The message. The message. Uh, can someone read, uh, read off that little uh, introductory note there on page seven? Three, two, one. A, a Christian. A Christian prophet. 
preachers, patients daily exercise themselves in the catechism, which is a short summary and epitome of the entire Holy Scriptures and what they may always teach the saints. So we see his, his rationale and his, his audience. We have no slight reasons for treating the catechism so constantly in sermons and for both desiring and beseeching others to teach it, since we see to our sorrow that many pastors and preachers are very negligent in this and slight both their office and this teaching. Some from great and high art, giving their mind as they imagine to much higher matters, but others from sheer laziness and care for their paunches. <laughs> Assuming no other relation to this business, than if they were pastors and preachers, for their belly's sake. See, a lot of pastors are always fat. And had nothing to do but to spend and consume their emoluments, emoluments, as they get their profits, as long as they live, as they have been accustomed to do under the papacy. So they're either, they're either allegedly concerned about these higher philosophical ideals, or they're just too lazy and fat to, to, to actually be doing the very basics of what they're supposed to be doing is preaching the... The gospel to people. Can somebody, so this uh, paragraph two, can someone read and all though? They have the very things they are to preach and teach, placed before them abundantly, clearly and easily, in so many helpful books. These truly are sermons that preach themselves, sleep soundly, be prepared, and the source, as they used to be called. Yet these preachers are not even godly and honest enough to buy these books or even when they have them, to look at them or read them. Oh, they are completely shameful gluttons and servants of their own bodies. They are more fit to be swineherds and dog tenders than caretakers of souls and pastors. So he's not, you know, beating around the bush on how, what he thinks here. Paragraph three. And now that they are delivered from the unprofitable and burdensome babbling of the seven canonical hours, oh, that instead thereof, they would only morning, noon, and evening read a page or two in the catechism, the prayer book, the New Testament, or elsewhere in the Bible, and pray the Lord's Prayer for themselves and their parishioners, so that they might render in return honor and thanks to the gospel, by which they have been delivered from burdens and troubles so manifold, and might feel a little shame, because like pigs and dogs, they retain no more of the gospel than such a lazy, pernicious, shameful, carnal liberty. For alas, as it is, the common people regard the gospel altogether too lightly, we accomplish nothing extraordinary, even though we use all diligence. What then will be achieved if we shall be negligent and lazy as we were under the papacy? So under the papacy, like people just weren't, they weren't teaching these basics of the faith. They weren't, they weren't being pastors. They were supposed to be pastors and the people know nothing. So, so think about the context. They've been, they've been kind of freed from the Catholic church, but there wasn't like, there wasn't like a uniformity amongst all the churches. It wasn't like there were already a bunch of churches who were already Lutheran. So that when the, when the Reformation happened, they all just said, okay, now we're all free. Think of it more like individual congregations and individual towns throughout Europe, starting in Germany and then spreading beyond. They were like, you know what? I think, I think Luther's onto something here. And so they, all they started to do differently was like have the Lord's Supper in both kinds. They started trying to, to implement a lot of the things that Luther's encouraging, like reading the Bible and, and like slowly breaking away from the sacrifice of the mass. But the people still, there was no, like the, the pastors in those places, the priests in those places didn't just magically get like a USB download into their, into their heads. Like the system was broken 
And then it just like, when it, when, once it was cut off from the system of Roman Catholicism, it was really left with nothing then. So what little, what little order it had before was dropped. And then now it's like, there's absolutely nothing. So you go into these churches, it's like, oh, we got to do something. Yeah, a little bit of panic in Luther, maybe. I have a question. <clears throat> so the time, what's the time frame here? Because when was Gutenberg, and how, do, how would people have had access to, I mean... All historical questions must be reserved for Dr. Adam Francisco. <laughs> uh, no, so, so Gutenberg is late 1500s? Yeah. Or, or late 1400s? I think late 1400s. Okay. So Columbus was 1492, ocean blue, right? Yeah. Uh, late 1500s was Gutenberg. No, but Gutenberg would have been, yeah, I think, late 1400s because it was when, like, for example, when Luther got the 95 theses on the door, like the, 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 the drunk uh, fraternity boys from Wittenberg College went over there and pulled it off the door and took it over to Gutenberg and spread it all out. Right, Twitter, yeah. Without, I mean, fortunately, it would have been Twitter minus all the other noise. So it was just like Luther had a lot more, it was almost like everyone else was canceled. <laughs> Speaking the language of the day, Clay, right? Um, but yeah, so I think it was actually late 1400s. 1436. 36. So, yeah, okay. 54? So we have... Different Google answers. Yeah. Wikipedia, Wikipedia can't come through. Okay. Well, in any case, so it, imagine like the computer. When the computer first came out, it was just like the super high ups in the CIA, they were able to use it. Um, so it's probably like the Gutenberg, I mean, how many people had it? And so by, the, by, by Luther in 1529, they probably had one. And the, the elector in Saxony probably had one, maybe, and they could crank it out. It was the local, uh, the cannon. Um, it had the, the back and front and back with the staple like we have in our office. <laughs> Good. But that's, I mean, that's huge for why ultimately the timing of the Reformation was so key. It's just like... Um, the Lord's timing in the incarnation uh, and where it was in Jerusalem, being on the, on the Roman road where it was in the historical context when you've got the Pax Romana, it's like Roman peace. Everyone's kind of generally speaking the same language or at least they have a common referent language that they can all lean on. And then that's when the incarnation happens. In the same way at the Reformation, Everybody before Luther, there's, I mean, lots of guys that had his ideas. They just, they ended up smelling like uh, burned meat after they had them because they couldn't get it out. And so being protected by the, the elector there in Saxony and then getting the ideas spread out fast enough through the Gutenberg, it was, it was able to protect. And also the helpful, helpful thing to remember is the Turks, which Luther is always referencing the Turks and anything published like, in the last 40 years, softens that language um, because we don't want to seem like Islamophobes. But it's like Luther is very much an Islamophobe, not because of the color of someone's skin, because they're actually taking people and chopping off their heads just for being Christian. So that's not Islamophobe as much as these guys are crazy and they're coming. Uh, in fact, some of the early church, in the Middle Ages, the, like around the Crusades, they, they talked about the Muslim forces in, in North Africa as a, uh, how did the word go? 
like a tornado, a, a, a spinning storm of dust. Because the way that they would fight is they, they run their horses in circles upwind from you and the wind would blow in and blind you and they come in riding behind the wind and just chop off, chopping everybody into pieces, right? So the Muslims were coming up from the east and they're coming up from the west. So they're, they're surrounded. And Germany was in this really important position where they needed to be, they, they, were, a, they were a strong uh, fortress of like protection for Rome. They were like, as, as one of the main walls against, of, of defense. And so they needed, they needed Germany to be united. And so the Reformation was causing enough division. You had a major elector, which had been like a governor of a big, of a big uh, state, saying, you're not going to mess with my guy. Otherwise, at any other point in history, the emperor comes in, the pope would say, emperor, take care of this, or I'm going to excommunicate you. And the emperor says, fine, smash him like a bug. But not now, because we need Germany united, because we need them to fight off the Muslims. So the elector, who really liked Luther, fortunately, was able to say, you can't have him. So he was protected long enough to could you, could you get Gutenberg going and get the word out. So the context, the historical context is very helpful to how this is all able to happen. Good, thanks, Clay. Uh, paragraph three, is that where I left off? Where was I? Five? Uh, to this, there is added the shameful vice and secret infection of security and satiety. That is, that many regard the catechism as a poor, mean teaching, mean, uh, like being simple or basic, which they can read through at one time and then immediately know it, throw the book in the corner and be ashamed as it were to read it again. Anybody guilty? Yeah. It's a small catechism. Are you <laughs> Chris, thank you, Chris, for being in. But this is like, when we went to the idea, we should put the small catechism in the, in the bulletin just to have people refresh it every week. Oh, why would we do that? I mean, these people are, you guys know it. You don't need to hear the small catechism again. Uh, Luther says differently. We should be doing, yeah. The, so the idea would be the hope, just like the Bible, we should be putting more Bible in the bulletin. But we want to keep the services to a reasonable length. And here's the thing. You should be reading the Bible on your own as you should be reading the catechism. That was the logic. As we Ultimately, we can't do everything in the 59 minutes and 30 seconds that we have together on a Sunday. Um, yes, even among the nobility, there may be found some louts and scrimps who declare that there is no longer any need either of pastors or preachers, that we have everything in books and everyone can easily learn it by himself. And so they are content to let the parishes decay and to become obsolete because we have online church and pastors and preachers to suffer distress and hunger plenty, just as it becomes crazy Germans to do. For we Germans have such disgraceful people and must endure them. <laughs> uh, any, any comments or questions there? Just keep, let's keep rolling. Until, I mean, you got something. Just... <laughs> That's right. Uh, can someone read seven for me? as learned and experienced as all those may be who have such presumption and security. Yet I do as a child who is being taught the catechism, and every morning, and whenever I have time, I read and say word for word the Ten Commandments, the Creed, the Lord's Prayer, the Psalms, etc. 
and I must still read and study daily, and yet I cannot master it as I wish. Now pause there just for a second. Okay. So when, notice where he talks about the catechism. It's not Luther like self-promoting his own like, you should buy the CPH small catechism. It's on sale for $12.99. Here's my book. It's in the lobby for, you know, like every speaker does at their thing. Um, when Luther says catechism here, he's saying the Ten Commandments. Like, when you wake up in the morning, make the sign of the cross, hop in the shower if that's your routine, remember your baptism, say the Ten Commandments, say the creed, say the Lord's Prayer, and chew on it. The, like apply it to your apply it to your life. Now, what's helpful about the meanings that we're going to get to later is that the meanings actually help you chew on it. So you can just you can go on a walk with your dog and just sit on the first commandment in the small catechism, which is fear, love, and trust in God above all things, right? And just kind of run through it in your own head. What's becoming my God? Why is that becoming my God? I wonder what the implications are for myself. Why is Jody's phone going off? We're trying to talk. I don't know. But that's the idea. So chew on it, right? Keep going, Sue, paragraph 8. Okay, I'm right there at 8. But must remain a child and pupil of the catechism, and am glad so to remain. And yet these delicate, fastidious fellows would, with one reading, promptly be doctors above all doctors, know everything, and be in need of nothing. Well, this, too, is indeed a sure sign that they despise both their office and the souls of the people, yea, even God and his work. <laughs> They do not have to fall. They are already fallen all too horribly. They would need to become children and begin to learn their alphabet, which they imagine that they have long since outgrown. So, that's, so the pride is the problem for us to just to return, for us to return to the catechism and study the basics is is like learning the alphabet again. Or I know the alphabet. I'll need to study that again. So we have to be reminded that it's not the alphabet. It is much more helpful than that. And it's not, again, it's not the what does this mean. So that's helpful too, but it's just the, the Ten Commandments to create the Lord's Prayer over and over again. Therefore, I beg such lazy paunches. <laughs> like in the Parks and Recreation, they opened that fast food restaurant called Ponch Burger, where they only sold like fat. Anybody see that? Just me? Come on, people. I can't, I can't work with it. <laughs> Therefore, I beg such lazy paunches or presumptuous saints to be persuaded and believe for God's sake that they are verily, verily not so learned or such great doctors as they imagine and never to presume that they have finished learning this, the parts of the catechism, or know it well enough in all points, even though they think that they know it ever so well. For though they should know and understand it perfectly, which, however, is impossible in this life, Yet there are manifold benefits and fruits still to be obtained if it be daily read and practiced in thought and speech, namely, that the Holy Ghost is present in such reading and repetition and meditation and bestows ever new and more light and devoutness so that it is daily relished and appreciated better. As Christ promises, Matthew 18, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So th this reminder that within you, is a sinner and a saint all the time. And the Ten Commandments are daily killing the old Adam. So, like, when, when, you're, when your mind is, is contemplating speaking evil of your neighbor 
And, but you're, but you're reading, you're saying the eighth commandment every day. It helps fight against that old Adam. The Lord's prayer is chasing off the devil. Uh, we just can't, the, the devil can't stand it when we're saying the, the Lord's prayer. So I mean, to say it multiple times a day, all the time, for God's kingdom to come and have his name be holy among us so the devil wouldn't have his way with us and our sins would be forgiven and all these wonderful things. So it's actually doing good to us because the Holy Spirit is in it and working through it. Besides, it is an exceedingly effectual help against the devil, the world, and the flesh, and all evil thoughts to be occupied with the word of God and to speak of it and meditate upon it so that the first psalm declares those blessed who meditate upon the law of God day and night. Undoubtedly, you will not start a stronger incense or other fumigation against the devil than by being engaged upon God's commandments and words and speaking, singing, or thinking of them. For this is indeed the true holy water and holy sign from which, from which he flees and by which he may be driven away. So you get the, the, uh, the, the, ref, the incense reference. So this is this really interesting thing. When it comes to incense, this, like when you, when you read about um, like demon possessions and like when the devil is taking over situations, there's a smell, a putrid smell. The, the, the devil loves putrid smells. And so the idea is God loves things. That, God, God has a good smell. Like this is the, God gives the formula for incense, the recipe for incense in the Old Testament. We have, whenever Isaiah is in the temple and there's smoke, it's not because it was on fire. What was the smoke? In the t- so there's this, there's this significant place for incense. And here, what Luther's saying is, while incense has, certainly has this place in the church, it's like, well, you know what's better, even better than incense that blasts the devil out more than, than throwing good smells at him, like Febreze in a locker room? It's saying the Lord's Prayer. 11, now, wait, now we, we've started using incense, in case you didn't notice. Um, and I like it, but mostly, so the rationale immediately was, um, as our world grows increasingly terrible, to make our church be increasingly otherworldly so that the experience of one when they come into church would be one of not like going to Walmart or going to any other place, but actually stepping into a remind, reminding ourselves that this is where heaven meets earth, where we are here gathered with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. So uh, to have it smell different than the, than the wallflower in your living room. But the immediate, the practical, the practical reason was if you recall, when back in the day when we thought COVID was spread because somebody sat in front of you in the pew and touched a hymnal seven weeks ago, and the cells on the pew are going to cause you to die immediately, so we go around and spray that stinky stuff that made the whole sanctuary smell like a locker room, like an eighth grade locker room after the, the kids spray on box Addy Axe body spray covering up this bo smell. That was our sanctuary. And everybody's wearing masks on top of it. So me and Shu were like, Pastor Schumacher, sorry. Um, we we're like, we, we could cover up that stinky smell with the good smell that church has always used since, you know, forever. <laughs> so we started doing it. And not everybody noticed it until like, uh, what was it, like Christmas or whatever? People are like, is the church on fire? <laughs> and it kind of was because, do you remember that first Christmas Eve we had 
like six Christmas Eves in a row, the, first, the, Christmas, uh, the, the COVID Christmas Eve, and we had like, we started church at like 11 o'clock, an hour and a half later, church again, church, 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 boom, boom, boom. So we had incense going like constantly. And then after like one of those services, Pastor Schumacher usually does the incense. And I was stuck doing it by myself one time and I wasn't exactly sure what to do with it. So I take the incense that was still kind of hot from the previous service and I put it in the garbage can. And so like, <laughs> I remember being in the, greeting people, oh, Merry Christmas, good to see you. What's that smell? So I went back and the, the, the garbage can is like bellowing, flames. <laughs> and like they're, they're playing like the, you know, Silent Night prelude. I'm like, ah, panic. I take the garbage can, I like run it out, that little like this fire escape by the sacristy. I'm like, <laughs> I run back into the narthex and I find Steve Lindemeyer. I say, Steve, there's a small fire near the sacristy. Could you go? <laughs> Let this be a warning to you. Never put incense that you think is out in the garbage can. Uh, 11. Can someone read 11? I can't. Uh, now, for this reason alone, you ought gladly to read, speak, think, and treat of, the, of these things. If you have no other profit and fruit from them, than that by doing so, you can drive away the devil and evil thoughts. For he cannot hear or endure God's word. God's word is not like some other silly prattle, as that about Dietrich of Bern, etc. But as St. Paul says, <clears throat> Romans 1.16, the power of God, yes indeed, the power of God which gives the devil burning pain and strengthens, comforts, and helps us beyond measure. You'll notice as you read more of Luther, it, he's, he's very conscious of the, the present activity of the devil, the imminent presence. So even, even in our, like the, Luther's morning evening prayer, let your holy angel be with me, the evil foe would have no power over me. Um, Luther's always referencing this. And really, if we, if we said, I mean, in the Lord's Prayer, we actually talked about this in our new member class last night. Um, the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. The, the, the Greek is deliver us from the evil one. And, uh, and, and Luther expounds on that a little bit, I believe, in the large catechism later. But the idea is there's a, there is a, a, a certainty that the devil's trying to take us down. And uh, to be reminded of that, the evil that is trying to take us down constantly has us, like Luther said, if we knew, if we knew that every minute the, the devil and his demons had so many fiery darts pointing at us, trying to destroy us and our faith, we would go running to the sacrament. But we just kind of forget about it. That's which really is the greatest strategy of the devil is to convince the world that he just doesn't exist. It's not to be afraid of him, but just that to be, I think C.S. Lewis said that at the beginning of Screwtape Letters. That's where he said it, yeah. Uh, 12, any comments or questions so far? We'll run for about maybe five more minutes and take a break. We got a couple new faces in here. I'll introduce them in a second, yeah. Um, when Luther talked about like the Holy Ghost being present in the reading and repetition and meditation and stuff, what's what's like the basis for that being the catechism right now? So specifically, the so the Ten Commandments being themselves God's word, and God's word. 
The reason why that God's word is able to do things like kill the old sinful Adam is because of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord's Prayer being the very word of Jesus that he said, pray like this. Um, and it, it is the prayer where Jesus, I mean, just think about that. Jesus says, pray like this to deliver us from evil. So, he, he, you know, whenever you're, whenever you're freaking out about the devil, pray to, pray to our dad uh, to deliver us from the evil one. If, if anything, I mean, to call the power of God down against the devil, is gonna, uh, that's going to do it, right? So um, wherever God's word is, is, there is the Holy Spirit. Now the creed isn't like, isn't like Colossians chapter three, verse one, I believe in God the Father Almighty, right? Um, but all, we'd say all that, every single line of the creed is, is ultimately from the scriptures. That's, that's in fact why in, our, in your bulletins, um, we've put, we, have, we have all those Bible re- references there to, to, for the newcomer to maybe kind of see, hey, we're not confessing anything that's not cle- clearly there in the Bible. So. Well, but it isn't, I mean, it isn't exactly the same, right? I don't well, want to make it about the phenomenon, but, you know, yeah, but n- neither God is... The Father is the creator, but in like the first chapter of John, the God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, are also created. Right. So, like, so well, the, the question behind that would be, does the idea of the, of the Bible, is that considered to be the word of God by which the Holy Spirit works? Is that your question? Well, so the Holy Spirit is promised to be in God's word in like Timothy or something, right? But do we have that same promise for the catechism? I get the Lord's Prayer and the commandments because they're drawn directly from the Bible. So I'm going to turn the, turn the question around and say, is it God's word when 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 Annabelle is telling Dia in our backyard, our Hindu neighbor, what she knows about Jesus. She's not quoting any Bible reference. Sure. But is that not the proclamation of the gospel through which the Holy Spirit works? See, I, see, I just went personal and talked about a kid to make you look really bad if you disagree with me in public, see? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but, that, but that's the idea. So we talk about faith comes by hearing. It's not just walking up to somebody and reading Romans 3 at their face, but it's actually the evangelical conversation that we have with our coworkers is one of engagement in conversation, which is what Paul does at the Areopagus in Acts 17, where he's, he's taking what he knows of, of God's word and applies it to their context in such a way that it's working faith. And people repent and ask him for, there's a continued conversation. So I use that, now swing back to the creed, and we've got words about God's word or about the content of the scriptures, much in the same way as the sermon itself. Which, by the way, you notice we put, the, depending on the divine service, the creed is either immediately before or after the sermon. Because the sermon's only good, like, I don't know, 10% of the time. But just in case, just in case we're bad as pastors... The creed actually gets it right. So it's like to sandwich ourselves in goodness. Um, but, that's, but that's the idea. So the creed, even though it's not reading John 3.16 at someone's face, it is getting to the heart and essence of the scriptures, which again is the, con- the, con- the condensed version. That's an excellent question, Chris. I mean, I, th- I think that gets at, um, 
I think just me reflecting on it now, it's helpful to, to remind ourselves that when we're, when we're confessing the gospel to our neighbor, it's not that I have to read to them Romans 3.21 because ultimately you're reading Romans 3.21 in English wasn't exactly the words that Paul wrote anyway in the Greek. Though to be sure, it's capturing the same idea and it's doing it in a pretty well word-to-word translation. But it's also the same idea when I walk up to somebody, instead of quoting Romans 3.21, I say, you know what? We all kind of face death because this world is broken. We have this problem that Jesus fixed called sin. That's Romans 3.21, just put differently. So the creed, maybe confessing that, is that, that's a good, it's a good, really good point. So it's for to us then, confess that creed is not mindless blabber, which it can become because we've said it so many times. We're just rattling it, rattling it off. So fine, stop rattling it off and think about what you're saying. Doesn't mean you shouldn't say it, just say it better. Say it more mindfully, right? So let's, um, let's take a break. I know we're, we're, it's perhaps unrealistic to think we're going to get as far. Um, so, uh, but I, I, this is fun. I, this, this is my style. So we're, you're stuck with me. Um, so let's gra- grab, a, grab a beer, grab some. I think we have like seven different varieties of, of peanut butter stuffed pretzels. If you're allergic to peanut butter, it's a great time to check and see if you still are. <laughs> Meet some new people, and we'll take a five-minute break, 10-minute break, we'll get back at it.